1: I'm Dave Whittaker, and this is Vinyl Snob. The average guy that wants
0: to buy a reasonably priced hi-fi, there's very few shops left.
1: That's Chris Larson, owner of North Coast Audio. In this episode, we stop by something very rare in the brick-and-mortar retail business these days. A stereo shop. What I try to get them into is, well, you know, you can build
0: something over time that you're, that's going to last a lot longer and you're going to be a lot happier with. And
1: while visiting New York, we stop by Record City in Brooklyn. All of that, plus vinyl news, in this episode. First, vinyl news. As the vinyl record industry continues to enjoy record-breaking sales... One of the largest vinyl pressing plants, Rainbow Records, in Southern California, has shut down. The news spread quickly around the industry, with Rainbow President Steve Sheldon delivering that news. The issue, the price of the current location in Canoga Park, California, with Sheldon pointing to a massive rent hike. It was either accept the increase or relocate the plant. Both options were too expensive. In December, Rainbow President Steve Sheldon delivered the news in an email. It read, Dear Valued Customers, After well over a year of trying to negotiate an agreement with our landlord to keep Rainbow on Eaton Street, I am sorry to say that, unfortunately, we have been unsuccessful. Our landlord apparently has other plans for this building and has demanded that we vacate the space. The email continues, It is with incredible sadness that I must announce to you that as of January 31st, 2020, we must be out of this building, and Rainbow, after 80 years, will no longer be in business. Joining us from Los Angeles is Rainbow Records President Steve Sheldon. Steve, welcome back to the program. How are you doing? I'm okay. So... um you had to be out on the thirty-first,
2: which was what last Friday. How did it go? Uh, we made it. Um, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Forty-five days earlier, we were operational in a fifty-thousand-square-foot building full of equipment and everything needed to uh, to run that equipment. And with uh, our incredible team, we were able to get out. <laughs> And uh, the presses. Presses went to United Record Pressing in Nashville. Uh, they they took all of them.
1: And how many how many did you have in operation at the time?
2: We were running fifteen. We had uh, eighteen, and they
1: they have them all. Those couldn't have been easy to move with all the uh, plumbing and electrical and mechanical involved. Um, like to uh, ask you a couple of questions, and let's get a little history on the company. It was started in uh, 1939 by Jack Brown.
2: Well, he was quite an entrepreneur. He was great with ideas, and then he, I think Jack's strong point was, he was always able to find good people to fulfill his ideas. He wasn't necessarily a real, you know, mechanical guy or you know able to put his ideas together but he he had a good knack for hiring the right people
1: and he hired you in uh, 1971 and uh, what was your first job with the company
2: so well i was going to college and what i wanted to do my interests were in uh, printing um and my dreams and Thoughts were to uh, own my own printing company when I got out of college. And while I was going to college, I um, was printing record labels for Jack. And when I got out, he asked me if I would consider staying on, and uh, I kind of liked. I I was always machines always interested me in manufacturing and stuff, so I said, sure, I'll give it a shot, and uh, 49 years later, there I was.
1: <laughs> now, you started at, in 71,
2: and where was the facility at that time? It was 1041 North Las Palmas in Hollywood, right near Santa Monica Boulevard and Highland. And then in 74,
1: the facility moved to a, a larger building in Santa Monica,
2: so when, when I started with him in 71, uh, and then when we moved to Santa Monica, we moved all the manual presses, and then he got semi-automatic right during the move. So we moved some manuals and then some semi-automatics. And then in 1977, he started replacing those with the totally automatic record presses. And the manual presses, you literally put the puck in and pulled the lever by hand? Yeah, manual press was, you literally pulled out the die. It was on a greased plate, and it would slide out. Um, You put the label on the top, the label on the bottom— You had an extruder next to you, and an operator would run two presses at a time. The extruder is what extruded the vinyl, and then he'd put the glob of vinyl into the press, put it back, close it, and then he'd flip a switch, and they were timers, so it would time the cycle. The cycle was probably about 35 seconds or so. And while that one was pressing, he would turn around and uh, do the same thing with the press behind him.
1: And uh, what
2: different jobs?
1: You said you started uh, with Jack at Rainbow Printing Labels. What other jobs did you have with the company?
2: Jack needed somebody in Santa Monica while that plant was being built. It took about a year to build. While he was running the Hollywood plant, he needed somebody who could just oversee and he could communicate with about what was going on and if he had questions or needed to communicate with contractors or whatever. So he moved the print shop over to Santa Monica first, and he moved me over there. And I kind of oversaw and was his conduit for communication while the plant was being built shortly after that the company that made our our plates our metal plates it was a plating operation and they announced they were closing up and without notice so jack took over the payroll and the employees and we moved that to santa monica and i quickly learned plating with the help of there was a company down in um, gardena called greg lee plating i went over there and learned quickly and uh i moved the plating over to santa monica and set that up and i made plates and then i oversaw the plant i was kind of plant manager and then i got more involved in the office and then ultimately became general manager and then president
1: and when did uh when did you become president and when did jack retire
2: so jack never really retired I became general manager in, in eighty six Jack at that point wanted to do a lot of traveling. He was already uh, let's see in 86 he was seventy three and he did do a lot of traveling. I kind of ran operations and then I became president when he passed away in two thousand
1: and three. you two must have gotten along well to have spent so much time together
2: yeah he was a he was a great guy, and we did we did get along um fantastically. Um, it, it was It was great for him to have me, and it was great for me to have him. It, was, it worked out really
1: well. And you had that huge memorabilia collection right off the lobby. Uh, what happened to all of that stuff?
2: The history and a lot of that stuff, we are setting up a wall at uh, United in Nashville with the history of Rainbow and a lot of the memorabilia of Rainbow. Um, United uh, recognizes the importance of Rainbow over the years and wants to keep that legacy
1: alive. And what does the future hold for you? Are you involved with the, uh, the move to Nashville at all?
2: No, right now it looks like once I get the warehouse cleaned out, which is we, with um, closing the plant I moved my office over. We had another building about a mile away, um, which was a warehouse. And I moved my office over there and I moved, uh, I have 10 employees over here. And our goal is now to uh, get this warehouse empty within the next 90 days. There's still business things to clean up and collect accounts receivable and, you know, do all the things you got to do when you're closing up a business.
1: Right. Dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Yep. You, you played host to us a couple of times down there when you welcomed Vinyl Snob and gave us a great tour and seemed like a wonderful place to work. And uh, everybody was having a good time and you enjoyed it. But I guess after 49 years with all of it, it's just, you're kind of done.
2: Yeah, I guess I am, but it's not exactly it was, the plan I had for going out. I mean, I was, my, my plan was, and I would have succeeded had it not been for the landlord, but the plan was to sell the operation, um, continue it, um, work for whoever the new owners were, and I had a couple people very interested. Um, and we were very close to a deal when the landlord kind of pulled some surprises on us um but you know my my plan and goal was to sell the operation keep the rainbow brand alive keep the employees employed and slowly phase myself out over a couple year period Um, but not everything goes as planned so the sad you know the saddest part for me is the rainbow name and and the employees. I mean, that uh like you said, it was a good place to work. And at our height, we had um, the maximum. I think was in 2009. We had 100 and almost 140 employees. When we shut down, we had 92. Um, and I would say over 50 percent of those worked over 15 years and probably a good. Twenty-five percent of those worked over twenty, twenty-five years. Um, so it was like a family, and that was uh, that was tough. Yeah.
1: Well, and you guys did some some great work, and it's a wonderful piece of of history. One of the few uh, pressing plants that, uh, as you said, when CDs came on, you you you. Invested in that, but you never got rid of the presses, which I think was something you said. Both you and Jack uh, had agreed that uh, there may be a time when we want to press vinyl again. So let's not get rid of these, right. which is what so right. many other facilities did, and uh, live to regret it.
2: Yeah, yeah, they did.
1: All right. Well, I wish you, uh, I wish you well, sir, and I thank you for taking the time and for for uh, all the years and all the vinyl that's in my collection that uh, came through the Rainbow facility. And uh, I I wish you luck in retirement and, of course, luck to all the uh, Rainbow employees. And uh, if it's all right, I'd like to check back in a couple of months and see how the shutdown uh, went and how you're doing. Sounds good. Steve Sheldon, president of Rainbow Records in Canoga Park, California. It truly was a bad week for vinyl. Two days after we recorded the interview with Steve and six days after Rainbow closed its doors, Apollo Masters, located in Banning, California, was completely destroyed by fire. The company is one of two in the world that makes lacquers, which are used in the creation of vinyl records. The other company, MDC, located in Japan, provides a similar product, but according to sources, was already having trouble meeting demand. Apollo Masters issued the following statement. We are uncertain of our future at this point and are evaluating our options as we try to work through this difficult time. For some insight on what this could mean to the future of the vinyl record industry, we're joined by Ron McMaster, retired mastering engineer who spent 37 years behind the cutting lathe at Capitol Records in Hollywood. Ron, welcome back to the program.
3: Thank you, David. Great to be here.
1: So, just refresh our memory. Uh, what is a lacquer, and why is uh, it so vital to the production of vinyl records?
3: Well, on a, la- a lacquer is a uh, either a 10-inch, or 12-inch, or a 14-inch, uh, which is used to manufacture uh the vinyl master so you you have a a a very thin piece of aluminum and then it's coated with lacquer basically uh, a lacquer finish like you would see in a paint type thing and then uh you cut the music on that and then that goes to the plant within a very specific amount of time then in turn they with that they create the stampers you can Maybe you get about thirty thousand pressings out of one lacquer. Now I don't know what they're going to do. It, it's still all very up in the air. But having Rainbow out of the scene that puts more pressure on the other few plants that exist already. So um, you got two different equations going on here, and uh, uh, neither one of them looks very good for for a slice of the business that was doing so well.
1: And to um, to refresh a, a lacquer. It has a one-time use. That's yes, right. So capital for years did work for everybody. So if you have lacquers in storage, if you have them on the shelf, are they going to be a little more particular as to what gets cut and what doesn't?
3: It sounds like it to me from what I just recently heard, yeah.
1: Now, there is a uh, there is a second plant uh, in the world manufacturing lacquers, but it's uh it's a rather small plant in Japan, I believe. And from what I read, uh, Apollo Masters in Banning, California, had basically supplied about 80% of the lacquers used in the world. So any thoughts that the the uh, plant in Japan may be able to step up production?
3: Doesn't sound like it. Some people were saying that they were already having difficulty getting Some of the stuff that they ordered, uh, not to mention it, it has to come from Japan.
1: Let's refresh people's minds. This is technology that dates back to the 40s and 50s, right? It's not like you can go out and buy another one of these machines to make the lacquers.
3: Oh, no. They're not even made anymore. Even if you had somebody sit down and then draw some plans and make it, that's that's not a fast process, you know? We have to just wait to see what's going to happen because nobody knows how how they're going to pull out of this one. You know, vinyl is doing so well, and for it to just uh, get hit this hard is is going to, be, uh, going to be really hard on a lot of people.
1: All right. Well, thank you again, uh, my friend, and uh, take care.
3: You too, David. Great talking to you, man. You take care of yourself.
1: All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. That's Ron McMaster, retired vinyl mastering engineer who spent 37 years at Capitol Records in Hollywood. He joined us from his home in Los Angeles. The cause of the fire at Apollo Masters is unknown. Firefighters at the time were describing it as an explosion. Fortunately, no one was injured in the early morning blaze. Record-pressing plants around the country and the world have expressed concern and expect delays and even possible closures in the foreseeable future. Apollo Masters was one of only two companies in the world, the other being Japan's MDC, known to produce the lacquered disc from which vinyl masters are typically pressed. The Vinyl Alliance mentioned that its members had been in touch with MDC and that the Japanese company intends to ramp up production and ration its lacquers so as to minimize the impact on manufacturers. We will be following this story with great interest and bring you an update in our next episode. When we come back, we visit a retail establishment that used to be everywhere and now are extremely difficult to find. But we found one, and we'll take you there when Vinyl Snob returns right after this. Welcome back to Vinyl Snob. I'm Dave Whitaker. On the northern coast of California, in the town of Eureka, just where northbound 101 takes a turn to the right, is a retail business you don't see much anymore. A stereo shop. Hi, I'm Chris Larson.
0: I'm the owner of North Coast Audio, the hi-fi shop here in beautiful downtown Eureka, California. It's a passion project. I've always been into audio gear, um, been into music um, since I was a little kid. I started off as uh, playing the saxophone in fourth grade, and that turned into a love of jazz and, and music, and, and uh, that goes along with being able to listen to stuff, which was hand-me-down uh, audio gear for my dad and grandfather and wherever else I could scrounge it, and uh, you know, from about age five, I started off with old hi-fi systems, and, and I haven't stopped upgrading since. <laughs> I mean, you, you know how that goes. You start off with one piece, oh, okay, well maybe I can get some better speakers, I'm going to get a better tape deck here and here, and it, and it just, the, uh, the end result of it gets to be really bad is you end up owning your own hi-fi shop. One of my first jobs in high school, believe it or not, was slinging electronics at a department store, back when Macy's, of all things had electronics, if you can believe that. It's hard to think of now, but um, electronic stores were all over the place, especially coming out of the 80s. I mean, that was a huge time. You know, even here in Tiny Eureka, like I was saying before we started recording, I think there was three or four audio shops at one point uh, in a town of 30,000, which is unheard of today. Um, That led to another job selling electronics. In in college, I worked for Sears, 18-year-old kid um, selling TVs and stereos. I worked for a time after college at a really cool regional chain uh, that's no longer in existence, The Good Guys. It was a really fun place to work. I had, I had some good times there, but uh, yeah, you had to wear a tie. I didn't really care for that. Even though they were pretty laid back, that was one of the things that we had to do. It wasn't my favorite. Um, and this, this was all stuff to put me through college. I've worked for a couple other small uh, independent dealers and, and uh, that got some good experience there. But uh, I remember getting into an argument one day with, with the owner, and he says, well, if you don't like it, get your own dang stereo store. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> Why Eureka, you ask? I just love Humboldt County. I, I love the area. Um, you know, my wife and I go out and, and drives uh, with our son. And, you know, we, you know, I love driving up the coast and say, hey, this is our backyard. This is pretty cool. Um, you know, we've got the ocean, we've got the redwoods. Uh, if you want snow, we can find it, but it stays up there. Uh, you don't have to shovel it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a half hour away from snow during the winter, and, and you know, 10 minutes from the beach and, and everything else. And it's gorgeous. I love it. And I'm looking forward to raising our son here. It's just a wonderful place to be. And uh, and, and it's casual. It's laid back. You know, I, I the other part of having a, uh, my own shop was being able to come to work in a T-shirt and shorts um, you know, I, I, I've had jobs in the past where I had to wear a, a shirt and tie, and that just uh, doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we're really casual when you walk in the door, and, you know, every once in a while I get, get that, you work here. <laughs> and like myself, Chris is a transplant to the area. I, no, actually, I grew up in the Bay Area, um, and I came up to do my undergraduate work at uh, the local university, Humboldt State University, and uh, that's where I fell in love with the place. And uh, it's not the um, the richest economic area up here. It's, it's had its turmoil for various things over the years. So, you know, in order to find a job that would support me, I had to create one. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm successful on that yet, but uh, I'm, I'm still here uh, 12 years in uh, with the stereo shop. Uh, it's not the most lucrative business in the world, but it's fun. I mean, I get to listen to music every day. And uh, I love it. One of the cool things about my funky building, and this is a funky old building. We were talking about that before we, we started recording. Um, you know, this is a house built in 1872. Kind of the neat thing about this building, it is so odd, it wasn't ever designed as an audio store. So a lot of it performs like a house would. I mean, we, I don't have perfect listening rooms. I've made them work as listening rooms. It ends up being, I think, a, a little bit closer representation of what you might hear
1: at the house. And the secret to the success of any business, location, location, location.
0: Major Highway 101. Yeah, I'm doing a high-end speaker demo and, you know, a logging truck will go by and the place will shake. And I mean, that's, that's the other thing, thing, doing a sound demo. I have to laugh every once in a while. My horrible ongoing joke is uh, we're right across the street from the fire station uh, so if ever I'm doing a surround demo and the fire engine goes off, which it does about eight to ten times a day, I say, "Man, it doesn't it sound like the fire engine's right behind us?" I mean, it's bad. I mean, I, I, I it usually gets a chuckle. <laughs> it's it, it is what it is. That's that's what I've got to deal with, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I love this place. I've I've kind of poured my heart into making this funky old building work. It's 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 nothing fancy. It's not a glossy high-end showroom. Uh, it's it's very lived-in. Um, you know, I'm the only, the only guy that, that works on everything here. And that's why it's not always as, as clean and neat and tidy as I'd like it to be. But, uh, I, I think it's relatively warm and welcoming. Um, I try to make p- people feel comfortable when they come in. You know, working in stereo stores, that just became kind of what I did. It wasn't really, I didn't plan on saying, Hey, I'm going to open a hi-fi store. But once I realized the opportunity was available to me, I, it was, uh, like, all right, this is cool. Like, maybe I can do this. I, I opened up shop, um, a little over a decade ago. And I think on day one, um, which was the day after a, a, a six point something earthquake we had. <laughs> so it started off with a, started off with a bang. Um, you know, I opened up the shop. I think I had $2,000 worth of inventory, which was nothing. You know, I, people would walk in, I, you know, I sell stereo gear and TVs and, uh, I would sell a TV and I'd keep the box and I'd put the box on the stand and I can say, "Hey, listen, I can get you one just like this," because <laughs> I didn't have any money. I, I opened up. I was. I, I opened up with. I like to say negative money. I, I had. Uh, I still had some credit card debt. I didn't have. I didn't have any money to do this, but uh, I lucked out and um, I had a really cool landlord who used to own the stereo store that's in the location where I'm at, and uh, he he kind of helped me. Helped me get going a little bit, and uh, I got to build it the way I wanted to build it. Well, the large room that we're sitting in right here is kind of, um, you know, kind of the welcoming spot, uh, and where I start a lot of people off. Um, I don't expect people to walk in the door and be able to buy a, you know, a Macintosh stack and ten thousand dollar speakers. Um, so I always try to have some really good, uh, good deals uh, for not a lot. I mean, we we start off with uh, some entry level speakers sitting behind you for a couple hundred bucks. Um, I'd like to see people get into hi-fi um, rather than, you know, go down to the big box store or whatever and, and throw a piece of junk sound bar or you know, home theater in a box, uh, you know, something that's gonna they're gonna throw out in a couple of years anyway. I you know, I, I get people to come in and say, Hey, I'm getting I'm trying to buy a home theater for five hundred bucks. And and, and I, I I take yeah, exactly. I take a breath, and I say, Okay, all right, well, here's the pros and cons of that. Um, what I try to get them into is, well, you know, you can build something over time that you're, that's going to last a lot longer and you're going to be a lot happier with, you know, listen to this and I'll play them just a pair of speakers and uh, maybe an AV receiver, you know, and for five, six hundred bucks, the same price that they were going to blow on, you know, five lousy plastic speakers, you can get a, a proper set of speakers that, that's going to last you really a lifetime if you take care of them. Um, and that's something they can they can build off, and that's resonated with a lot of people. Not always. I mean, people get money burning a hole in their pocket. They wanna they wanna get everything all at once. But usually that argument makes a lot of sense to people, and uh, and it's worked. I've had people come in. Um, I mean, it's good business sense for me long term, but it's better for the customer, which is what I, my ultimate goal is. I want I'm building people that get into this and get excited about it, and it's it's fun to watch. Um, you know I'll, it, a lot of times I'll get you know young guys you know eighteen, 20 years old, whatever with not a lot of cash. I so let's get you some good speakers and maybe we'll find you like a nice you know used receiver something to get you into some good quality gear that you can upgrade. I mean, like i said i'm I haven't stopped upgrading my whole life since five years old, and uh you know maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, I get them into the sickness
1: too, but uh it's it's a fun way to do it i I really enjoy it. And after years in the stereo business, Chris has seen the brick and mortars drop one by one. Much of it due to competition from online sales. You know,
0: I remember when, uh, you know, the last probably competitor when Circuit City went out of business before they they folded. About a year before they went out, I mean, the writing was on the wall because they stopped paying people commission, and all their experienced people left. I mean, when I when I worked at the Good Guys, I was. I was the odd man out in my, in my audio department. I was the the, the twenty year old snot nosed kid, and I was working with guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Some really cool people, and they'd uh, you know there were some guys there that had been there 20 plus years, uh, and I got a lot from them. I mean, they've they grew up in the in the big times of these the, of the audio stores. They grew up with that place. Um, and it's just not something that exists anymore. I mean, the, the internet—it's—it's it's, it, that's all retail. I mean, it's—it's it's killing retail everywhere. I have to do something different to stay in business, um, and that's trying to have the experience. Now we're—we're—we are really an odd situation. We're in Eureka, and it, it is to my advantage. I mean, I—I I could not do this. Uh, I couldn't do this business in the Bay Area. I, I couldn't do it in in a major market. It's just there's to be honest with you, there's no money in it. Um, I do it because I love it. I do it because it's fun. Um, I can have the the amount of stuff. I mean, you know, I, I go into the shops when I go into the big cities. I've been into shops and, you know, major cities all over. I'm, I've got a bigger shop. I've got more stuff. <laughs> um, and like you said, I have a wide range of stuff because I'm serving... I'm trying to get everybody into this kind of thing. Uh, and we don't have a Best Buy in town. We don't have, there really isn't any other place where you can buy any of this stuff uh, in this shop. I mean, I, I, I'm looking around, I can't think of another place in town or even in this, the greater uh, Humboldt County area. Um, you know, you, you've gotta drive six hours before you're gonna find some of this stuff. We, we draw from a big area. I mean, I get, it, it always amazes me how far my customers will come to my shop. I mean, I have had customers from Southern California, I have customers, Reno, Portland. Um, I've had a, a few customers that will fly in to listen to stuff. Um, you know, there, there's a brand in, in the high-end room. There, there's dealers, there's a few dealers in the Bay Area. Not a single one of them has on display the speakers that I do. Um, because to stay alive in this industry in the major markets you have to be a custom installer so these are the guys you know building the cut the custom homes with the smart home and the fifty hundred thousand dollar home theater that's the only thing they can do to stay in business the average guy that wants to buy a reasonably priced hi-fi there's very few shops left Uh, we get a lot of tourists that's a neat thing about humboldt county and again going back to why i live here people come visit us from all over. It's a beautiful area and I'll get people driving through and they'll walk in my store and you know they'll kind of have the same reaction. how do you have all this stuff um, and, the, and the other thing I hear a lot is well geez, we don't have a store like this in my town. We used to. We don't have a store like this in giant XYZ city um, so they're always blown away and I'm like yeah cool want to come listen they're just like, yeah sure great. I never expect to make a sale and I'm not I never push them like hey, what do you want to hear and you know I have things like Magnapans. You can't hear Magna Pans. And you, there's very few. There's only two, three places in all of California you can listen to Magna Pan speakers. I, I love playing them for people. I love, especially if they've never heard them before or never been able to hear them in a good environment. Um, you know, that jaw-dropping experience they have, like, oh my gosh, I've never heard anything like that is It's amazing. Uh, and it's fun. I just get to play. And, it, you know, for me, it's I'm getting to listen to tunes. I'm getting to listen to music. Demoing speakers is my favorite part of the job. Um, I had a lot of fun when you brought in your records to listen to speakers. But I'll I'll bring in these tourists, people I have no expectation of selling to, just to give them the experience, and it's fun. And every once in a while, I'll get a call, uh, and this happened not long ago, I had a call from a guy who said, Hey, this is Joe so-and-so, you remember me? I'm like, no, I I don't remember you. Uh, Yeah, I came in, I was on my Harley, and I was about six months ago. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, all right, I think I remember, yeah. it's like, well, yeah, you played these speakers for me. And you did the system, and I'll tell you what, I've been, it's been bugging me the whole time. I want to buy some. Well, where are you? Well, I'm in Chicago. <laughs> okay, well, you've been in my store. Um, sure, do you have a local dealer? Well, there's nobody around here that has what I... And I'm using Chicago as an example, but they don't have the Hi-Fi dealers. And if that's the case, and they've been in my shop, I'm happy to say, well, yeah, sure, I'm, I'll set you up. And I've, I've got some big customers who have referred other customers... Uh, all over the country Uh, and that's 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 a little bit of what's supporting our hi-fi business Um, it's not intentional it's just kind of happened that way just me having fun and it doesn't happen that often maybe one out of ten but that's still pretty cool Um, and they're happy and I've I've I've, (laughs) I've made some good friends I mean there's people I talk to that are my customers that you know, they were on vacation here six years ago, and I still talk to them, and they still call me for advice and stuff, and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, give them my honest opinion on stuff. I'll, I'm will i happy to tell you when I think something sucks, <laughs> or if I think a reviewer is not on point, and that just circles back to, you gotta hear it. You get those guys with that experience, and they, you know, like, well, I, I'd read a review about this, but I had no idea. And, you know, maybe I turn them on to an amplifier or something else in the system that Well, I've never heard of this, or I've never read a review, or I read a review of this that the guy didn't like it. I'm like, did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was great. Well, then this is why you got to hear it. You can't really trust the reviews. They're good, uh, you know. They get you in the ballpark. It gets you thinking about certain things. But man, you got to hear it. You got to have that experience. And I'm I'm grateful I can give that to people. I'm grateful I can. Stay in business just barely, uh, doing a hi-fi shop. It's 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 not an easy road. Um, you know there are certainly challenges involved, and I'm I'm a one-man band. I'm the installer. I'm the groundskeeper. I'm the maintenance guy, the salesperson. The the list goes on and on and on. Um, you know I, the the downside is I, I I love doing speaker demos, but then again at the end of the night I have to sit down and do an hour or two worth of paperwork. That's not fun. <laughs> Nobody ever told me about that part. Um, but uh, I, I love having this business. I I love meeting people. I love uh, exploring new music that customers bring in, uh, and I love turning people on to hi-fi. Uh, it's 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 a blast. Um, I never saw myself doing this, but I can't see myself doing anything else now.
1: It's Chris Larson, owner of North Coast Audio in Eureka, California. On a future episode, we'll explore. Fire engine right on cue. On a future episode, we'll explore the speaker demo as I look for a new pair of speakers for the living room stereo. We have pictures and links to North Coast Audio on our website, finalsnob.com, but I warn you, you will not find a shopping cart on Chris's website. However, if you'd like to talk audio, shoot him an email or give him a call. Chris loves to talk audio gear. Now to jump from the West Coast to the East Coast, where on a recent visit to New York, Dana Berry stopped by Record City in Brooklyn.
4: I'm Ian Clark, and this is Record City in Brooklyn. We opened in September of 2016, been involved in records for a long time, selling part-time, full-time, internet, in-person and also have a record label that focuses on um, vintage reggae music. It's called DKR. We had an office in the neighborhood in Prospect Lefferts Gardens and for many years we had that office and one of my partners sort of started nudging me to look for (laughs) real estate um, to maybe have a shop and very thankful that he did that because uh, it kind of pushed me to uh, move towards having a physical record store and i'm really glad we did it um we we definitely have a lot of uh reggae music in here but we have everything rock soul jazz um hip-hop so um really great neighborhood good place for it Uh, neighborhood's been very responsive it's a very historically caribbean american neighborhood over here which is important to me um since we're so interested in um, jamaican music um but you know as has happened in Brooklyn. Uh, certainly is gentrifying a bit. Um, so you got a lot of newcomers coming to the neighborhood looking for rock records and soul records and jazz records. You got the 20-somethings who were just getting a record player and discovering vinyl records, which is an important part of why record stores can work nowadays. I just started selling records when I just kind of started finding more than I could use and I, and I really had an interest in reggae. And I was finding records that were pretty tough to find, I guess, and started selling stuff on eBay, and then started my own website, which focused on 80s reggae music, which was kind of a niche back when, in 2008, you could have a specialty niche store like that, that could work. Um, And then Discogs came around and kind of flattened everything out a bit. Um, So I started selling records there, but I always had people coming into my place and my apartment and buying records. And so this is an extension of your apartment. It's an extension of my apartment. Yeah, a much neater extension of my apartment. Where do you generally get your vinyl? All over the place. Um, you know, people walk in with collections to the store, Just is great. Um, you know, I know a bunch of other folks, record dealers and record stores and everyone, you know, If you're friendly enough, people will trade information, and um, that's a way to get records. I buy from record dealers, too, sometimes. Definitely buy from some people that we've met through our record label over the years. Got a lot of sort of network and connections with um, reggae musicians and producers. Um, So a bunch of those guys i bought from over the years and still do. Were you hooked on vinyl first, or were you listening to other formats First. I I was hooked on vinyl first because I was like I had an older brother, he was seven years older, and he just gave me some of his records when I was like eleven or twelve. And I lived in Princeton at that time, New Jersey. There's a place called the Princeton Record Exchange. And in high school I was just like raiding the dollar bin at Princeton all the time with friends and and it was a pretty great time to do that. There was all kinds of cool stuff to find. In the early 90s, you know, back when everyone was getting rid of their record collections and buying CDs like idiots. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I just I was really into rap music. I was into old funk and soul stuff because of that. Um, and then I like, started to catch on to reggae. But I was also a DJ. I used to DJ a lot, so records were essential for that. Right. DJed hip hop. Any interesting characters that have brought in odd, weird things? There was a local gentleman, a much older Jamaican guy who, in a piecemeal way, just brought in little suitcase after little suitcase of his collection. He had terrific like stuff, really good roots reggae stuff from the 70s, including a, there's a legendary record, a Lee Perry record. It's called Heart of the Congos, and the original copies of that I have hand-painted stripes because they—they were pissed when the covers came back that they had gotten the colors wrong. So they, Lee Perry and other people, were sitting there like painting them in the in the back of his studio. And so there's a few hundred of those, and he had one of those, and that just walked into the store one day. Yeah, it was very very happy to see that. That one stayed with me. Very rarely do I keep records these days, but that one I kept. Yeah, we're open every day from noon to 8. We're in Flatbush, Brooklyn on the Q and B lines. would love anyone to come check us out. And, you know, it doesn't have to be just reggae enthusiasts. There's, you know, all kinds
1: of stuff here. Ian Clark at Record City in Brooklyn. Final Snob is produced at the studios of Post Audio in Eureka, California. Our executive producer is Dana Berry. Theme music composed by Cameron Robbins. Front office handles the social media. Me, I always reply to email. And to test that link, the first five people who can email me and tell me what year Steve Sheldon started at Rainbow Records and what his first job was, will send you a Vinyl Snob t-shirt. Dave at VinylSnob.com be sure to check out the other casts on the Pantheon Network and the VS Radio page at vinylsnob.com to hear vinyl DJ radio shows featuring many of the artists discussed on the Pantheon Network. That's the program. I'm Dave Whitaker.
3: Thanks for listening.